This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, so I'm going to do a little bit of recap since we haven't had a class for a while. That is, we know that the duties of the heart was written by Bachia ibn Pakuda, who lived in the 11th century. One of the first great rabbis in the 11th century who wrote about Musar. One of the first rabbis who wrote a book on Musar. And it's probably the, the most important post-Talmud work on Torah ethics. Um, for close to a thousand years, this book has influenced Judaism. Close to a thousand years already. Bakhudah's Duties of the Heart. And he wrote ten sections in the Duties of the Heart. Ten sections. So he talks about what are duties of the heart, right? Let's define what are duties of the heart. So there's duties of the body and there's duties of the mind. Two things. There's duties of the body and there's duties of the mind. There's duties of physical things and there's duties of mental things. That's what duties of the heart are. Duties, mental duties. So he calls them duties of the limbs, which are parts of the body. For example, a man has to wear tzitzit put the mezuzah on the door, which is a physical mitzvah. Uh, tefillin, sukkah, all these are duties of the body. And then he talks about the duties of the mind. What are the duties of the mind? Kavana, when you pray, this is, that's a big, that's avodash right? Serving God with one's heart, that's, that's very, very important duties of the heart. And duties of the heart include both positive and negative commandments. For example, Believing in Hashem, duty of the heart. Accepting Hashem's unity, believing in one God. Fearing Hashem, duties of the heart. Loving Hashem, duties of the heart. Trusting Hashem, duties of the heart, that's what we're going to talk about. Loving your neighbor, all these are duties of the heart. You have physical mitzvot to do, which are duties of the body. And you have mental mitzvot to do, which are duties of the heart, called duties of the heart. The negative mitzvot, which are in the heart, include don't hate your brother. Where? In your heart. So the duties of the heart. It says, Don't hate your brother in your heart. So it's a duty of the heart. So where is the heart? The answer is, the heart is the mind. So even though the Torah calls it the heart, it's really the mind. Not hating one's brother, not being envious, not bearing a grudge, not taking revenge, Right? Lo tachmod, don't kavet. All these are mitzvot to do with the heart, the mind. Mind, the heart. So usually when a person does a mitzvah of the body, it also has a section of the mitzvah of the mind as well. A person is doing a mitzvah, right? What makes a mitzvah a mitzvah? Huh? It's commanded. So what does a person have to think when they do the mitzvah? I'm doing it because it's a command. Right? Supposing a person does a mitzvah without thinking of its command. So that's why the rabbis made a bracha on a mitzvah. However, there are mitzvot which we don't do with a bracha. For example, kindness. All kinds of kindness, it's no bracha. You go visit the sick, no bracha. How come there's no bracha on visiting the sick? So the answer is it's so obvious it's a mitzvah. Right? Anytime a person does really something which is really good, obviously it's a mitzvah. Why would a person, you know, it's, it must be, it's, it's godly. You don't have to think it's godly because it is godly. It's something which is so obviously good. There's many different uh, debates, many different opinions about why there's no bracha on a mitzvah like kindness. Why there's no bracha on a mitzvah of kindness? So some people say because it's so obviously good, it's no problem. Number two is the bracha on a mitzvah says, Asher Kedisham Mistah God sanctified us with the commandments. And if you go to the hospital, it's not just Jews going to visit people who are sick. Everyone goes to visit people who are sick. So if it's not a special, unique commandment to, for Jews, and therefore we can't say, You sanctified us. It's not unique. We can only say you sanctified us on mitzvot, which are unique to Jews. Different, different answers. Number three, the Rashba says, since there's no quantity, there's no fixed quantity, how do you fulfill, when do you fulfill your mitzvah of visiting the sick? No quantity. Right? There's no fixed quantity. You can go for two minutes. You can go for 20 minutes, you can go for half an hour. Sometimes by going too much, you don't fulfill your, your, don't fulfill your mitzvah. <laughs> by tiring the sick person, that's not fulfilling a mitzvah. That's causing pain to a sick person. Right? Suppose the guy wants to sleep and you're interrupting him. It's like, it may not be a mitzvah. So you're very careful 
before you go in to ask the person, is it okay if I come in now? So now the trouble is, he may say yes because he's embarrassed. You know, and that's what happens normally. So the person's going to use their better judgment and not, not stay too long. And the person says, no, please, please stay with me. I, I'm lonely. I need someone to stay with me. Then it's a big mitzvah. The guy says, okay, good. Bye. See you. <laughs> that's a sign to go. Sign to go. So the answer is keep the visit short and sweet. But again, it's a mitzvah of kindness, and there's no bracha on the mitzvah of kindness, which is interesting. Why? So we had different reasons why there's no bracha on a mitzvah of kindness. It's interesting. But normally, when a person does a mitzvah, they have to have two parts to the mitzvah. It's not just a physical mitzvah, it's also a mental exercise. Why? Because the person has to think in his head, I'm doing this because God commanded me to do it. And that's why the rabbis instituted a bracha. Because that's what makes a command a command. What makes a command a command? The person realizes it's a command. So he said, every there's two, two different kinds of mitzvot. There's mitzvot which are physical mitzvot, tangible physical mitzvot, like mezuzah, like tefillin, like eating matzah, like uh, making kiddush, which the rabbis made physical because they made you drink the cup of wine, they made for kiddush on the cup of wine. But really for the Torah, it's not really physical, it's more speech. Right? On the other hand, there's another kind of mitzvah, which is a, a mitzvah of the heart. The duties of the heart, as he says, which are mitzvot, which are t- totally dependent on what a person thinks. Believing in God, trusting in God, loving God, fearing God, all these are purely in one's mind. However, they coalesce. A person does a mitzvah, a physical mitzvah, they also have to think that I'm doing it because God commanded me. So there's thought as well as action. So thought is, the rabbis call it kavana. Kavana is concentration, focus, intent, meditation. All these are kavana. So the kavana is very, very critical. We said that the kavana behind the mitzvah can add, make the mitzvah a thousand times as powerful. What did the Ramchal say? Remember, it's in Musilat Yesharim. Which kavana can make a mitzvah a thousand times as powerful? The joy and the gusto of doing a mitzvah. A person does a mitzvah with joy and gusto. I can't wait. I, can't, I love this mitzvah. I want to do it really properly. I want to do it to satisfy, to, to give God satisfaction. That mitzvah can be worth a thousand times as much as a person saying, eh, i got to do this mitzvah now. Imagine. How many people say Birkat Amazon with gusto? Right? So I ate bread, now i got to say Birkat Amazon. Ah, i got to say Birkat Amazon. Okay, so I'll say Birkat Amazon. But I'm not doing it because I really want to do it. How many people come to Midian in the morning and say, wow, I can't wait to wait my tefillin? There was a Hasidic rabbi, I can't remember who it was, who couldn't sleep after Sukkot. Couldn't sleep. Why? I didn't wear my tefillin all cholamoyed. I just, I can't wear my t- I can't, I can't wait. Can't wait. So that's tremendous, making that mitzvah worth many times more. And that is a duty of the heart. Because it's behind one. And you know what? A person will never know who's on a higher level. Because these are duties of the heart. Two people sitting down, eating. Who knows who's on a higher level? You can't tell how they're doing the mitzvah. Is the person eating to have pleasure? Is the person eating to live? Is he, lived, is he living to eat or eating to live? Makes a big difference on the reward a person is getting. Makes a tremendous difference. Two people are sleeping. One sleeping in order to be strong, to serve Hashem. And one sleeping because they're exhausted. So the, the duties of the heart makes a ter- tremendous difference. The thoughts of a person make a tremendous difference in the level of service of Hashem. It's very, very critical. And that's why he wrote this section about the duties of the heart. So, even though the concept of duties of heart was dealt with in various passages in the Torah, it was not set down in an organized way. So you have one mitzvah here, duties of the heart, loving Hashem. There's another mitzvah, fearing Hashem, a different place. Don't covet, is at a different place. It's not in the Torah, it's not structured properly. It's interesting, Moshe Rabbeinu did not structure the Torah according to a logical sequence. Who did? Rambam. Rambam came along and he structured the Torah. <laughs> the Rambam structured the Torah in a very logical sequence. But without the Rambam, it's all, you look at the Gemara. You're learning one page of Gemara, it's, it's meant to be a Gemara on Shabbat, or we're learning Brachot tomorrow night. But here it goes off a tangent of Heskiyahu, and he prayed in the, facing the wall. And it goes off a tangent, there's no structure in the Torah. It's very, very fascinating. Why was the Torah given with no structure? Any ideas? Offenses. Offenses. They're not supposed to know the structure? Well, non-Jews. Oh, okay. You're right. Maybe not to give away the whole picture. To learn from things that are close to each other. To learn smichut parashiot. Okay, but more is lost than gained. You know, by not learning in order and structure. So in other words, Hashem wants us to 
We say in the bracha, la'asok v'divrei Torah. Ashkenazim say la'asok, to busy yourself with Torah. The Torah is something which is not prepared. It's not a shulchan aruch. The shulchan aruch says, I gave you a prepared table. It's a riddle? It's something which you need to delve in. You need to delve into Torah to understand the Torah. It's impossible to understand the Torah. Just like uh, Gan Eden, right? There's a beautiful, I was just reading a beautiful article about Gan Eden. Fantastic article by the Ramban. The Ramban has a book about, there's a book around thoughts of the Ramban. But there's a beautiful, and he talks about how it has a very deep meaning. So a person says, you know, I read the Torah. I read the Tanakh. Tanakh. Rabbi, I read the Tanakh. But did you understand it? What's going on? Did you really put things together? I mean, if you read the Tanakh, but you don't read the Rambam, you just didn't understand anything. Because nothing's there. It's not put in a, in, a, in a structure. So to delve into the structure, so the Rabbi Chaya, Rabbi says, recognizing the need for a methodical, methodical, rational, and traditional explanation, I set out to fill this void. Because the Torah is not methodical. The Torah does not put these things all in one place. I'm going to put it in one place. I want this to be a practical guide how to serve God with one heart. So that's, that's basically the idea. To educate and encourage people to lead a life based on piety, ethics, and character refinement. That's the idea of this book. I wrote this for this purpose, to give people a structured form of studying the Torah, these sections of the Torah which are all over the place. And the same thing applies to the prophets. Right? Ishayahu uh, Navi. He talks about different things in different places. Some, it's not put together properly. Right? He has this vision, and he has a different vision, and he puts this vision. In fact, there's a beautiful book on, on the prophet Yirmiyahu. Yirmiyahu is a one big riddle. Why? Because the whole book is out of historical sequence. It's totally out of sequence, historically. You can't understand it. So one great rabbi in Israel just wrote a book, Yirmiyahu. It's called Yirmiyahu. And it tells you the actual sequence of what actually happened in Yirmiyahu. Historically. And now you can start understanding what he's talking about. Because he matches it to the historical what's going on. But Yirmiyahu is all over the place. It's higgledy-piggledy. It's not in a structure. Like the Torah. Like Rashi says, En mukdam mukhar Torah. Torah is not chronological. So it's not in chronological form. So now how do you understand it? It's not meant to be... It's not a history book. On the other hand, it's very hard to understand if it's not chronological. What's going on over here? So... Rabbi Bakuda says, let me, let me make it in a structure so that people can learn and read and make it accessible to people. I want to educate and encourage people to lead a life based on piety, Torah ethics, and character refinement. It's a beautiful concept. And he wants to show how important thoughts are. Now let's take the negative. We talked about the positive, how you can make a mitzvah a thousand times as much value by, by having some joy behind it. Beautiful. Take the same idea to an Avera, right? Murder. What's the difference between premeditated murder and manslaughter? Intent. Intent. Intent is the heart. So we see the same thing applies. We were talking about this morning about shogeg, right? Bringing a korban to the temple, right? A person's going to bring a sacrifice. For what sin? Huh? Shogeg. What's shogeg? Forgetfulness. A person forgot his Shabbat. He brings a korban. If he knew it's Shabbat, no korban. Karet. Well, scary. Scary. Unless he didn't, he didn't know. Most people today don't even know the seriousness of Shabbat. That's, that's what the rabbis say today. That's why he gives an aliyah. He breaks Shabbat and gives an aliyah. How come? He doesn't really understand the concept of Shabbat. People today don't get it. Why is Shabbat? We don't see the seriousness of Shabbat. You don't see a guy taken to the court and killed because he broke Shabbat. You don't see that. So people don't know it's serious. They don't know. There's no way they can find out. It's serious. Unless you read the Torah and you see Mikoshesh Etzim, he was gathering sticks on Shabbat and he, they killed him. Oh boy, that's pretty rough. <laughs> but people just read it, they can't even understand the Hebrew. So unless they read the English and they read the article, they're not, even if they come to Shul and listen to the parasha, they're not going to understand it. So it's ignorance, really. Ignorance. But we see the intent has a massive difference, both in the positive part and also in the negative part. So... And when it comes to performance of mitzvot, intent and kavanah are indispensable requirements. We know in tefillah, a person who prays without kavanah, it says like a goof bli neshama. It's like a body without a soul. You created, imagine creating an angel by your three prayers. 
The angel looks great, but he's dead. You create a dead angel. You create an angel on life support. Imagine. It's a person in a kavanah and a tefillah. So same thing, a person does a mitzvah without kavanah. The only difference is, as long as the person did the mitzvah, they can always do teshuva and make it have force. It's much easier to do teshuva and give it life force. And, okay. So now we are, we are talking about the gate of bitachon. The ten gates in, in, uh, in this book of Chobat Levavod are ten gates. Each one talks about a different topic. We are going to single out the topic of bitachon, trust in God. And you know when you go to Israel, uh, the word for seat belt is hagurat bitachon, safety belt. It's a safety belt. It gives you safety. It gives you trust. And that's what trust in God does. Trust in God gives a person like a safety net. And the Rambam says, a person who believes more in God has more divine providence than a person that believes less in God. It's a very interesting concept. The more we think of Hashem, the more He's with us. The less we think of Hashem, the less He's with us. It's, wild. it's a wild concept. A person thinks about Hashem. This week's parasha is a beautiful parasha. Why? The bracha in the Shemonestri of Magen Abraham is based on this week's parasha. Lech Lecha. We're in this week's parasha because Abraham Avinu fought a war, a world war. He fought against four great kings. And at the end of the war, he was worried. So Rashi says, why is he worried? Number one, he's worried. Maybe he used up all his merits. He won a world war. Can you imagine? This great, rich, religious man. Imagine, think about it. You have a rich, religious man who by himself with his, with his servants and with his neighbors wins a battle against four mighty kings, including Nimrod, who was one of them. Kedar Laomer was Nimrod. Imagine, kings of the world. He beats them. Imagine how people look at him and say, wow, this guy's a... Single-handedly, he's a, he won a world war. Single-handedly, imagine, wild. How many men did he have? 300 and? Was it 15 or 18? I can't remember. The Gematria Eliezer. So how do you do it? So anyway, he's worried. Did I lose my merits? Maybe I killed someone who is innocent. Maybe these kings are regrouping behind my back and they're going to come and attack me. Hashem says, don't worry, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward is tremendous. I didn't take away any reward for this. You didn't use up your merits. You're going to get extra credit for this. You just made a Kiddush Hashem in the world. Here's this man, all by himself pretty much. Through the help of God, he shows what a person can achieve with the help of God. It's amazing. We don't really realize, we see the Israel today, we're surrounded by 200 million enemies. It's a miracle. It says, whenever the Jews are doing well in the world, it's Kiddush Hashem. When the Jews are doing badly, it's Kiddush Hashem. So it's amazing Kiddush Hashem. So the gate of trust is the first work in Torah literature to explain in an organized, logical, definitive manner the fundamental principle of faith in God. And it tells us the great benefits of trusting God. Number one, freedom from worldly cares. Most of us, we have these furrows in our foreheads, right? You worry. Go to bed, you're worried. You worry about this, worry about that. You have kids, you worry about the kids. You have grandchildren, you worry about grandchildren. You have have, uh, relatives, you have... More, more property, more worries. Right. Bring us back to simplicity. A person should be in us, live simply. Less worries. So how does a person get rid of the worries? So there's a beautiful story. I said it yesterday in the women's class. Chavaz Chaim says, a person is hitchhiking. Can you imagine the good old days when you could hitchhike? Have you heard the story before? Hitchhiking down the road. <coughs> and he has his heavy backpack. And the car stops and says, hop in, I'll give you a ride. And he hopped in, and he still has his backpack on and on. He says, take off your backpack. He said, no. He says, enough, you carry me. You don't carry my backpack as well. So that's Hashem is carrying us anyway, given the backpack as well, given the worries. So a person who trusts in God, and that's how a person knows that they really trust. There's only one problem with that. What's the problem with trusting in God? Huh? Excellent. You can only trust in God after you've tried your best. You can't not try your best and say, I trust in God. Unless you have a terrific amount of trust that it can fill all the voids. I don't care. I didn't do anything. Hashem is going to help me. Hashem will help me. And a person has so much trust, he's, gonna, he's on the border of dying. 
He's ready to give his life for that. Is he, a, is he allowed to give his life for that? No, not allowed to give his life for that. But a person doesn't have a level of trust that level. He can't get to that point. A person has to do Hishtadlut. We all have to do Hishtadlut. And that was the worry, the worry of Yaakov Avinu, did I do enough Hishtadlut? So Yaakov Avinu does three things. Here's Hishtadlut. Imagine, Yaakov Avinu, the biggest tzaddik, didn't just say, I'll trust in God. He said he's going to save me from Esav. He did three things. Number one, he prayed, <laughs> which is interesting. Even though a person has trusted God, the trust comes through the tefillah. Interesting, right? In other words, even though I know Hashem will help me, the trigger to Hashem's help is the tefillah. A person through his tefillah can change the future. So the trigger was tefillah. What else? What else? Split the camps. Huh? Split the camps. Split the camps. He got ready for war. What else? Presents. Shochad. He gave him presents. Right? So he did three things. Why do you do three things? Because to get to the level of trust in God, you have to also do Ishtadlut. A person has to try their best. And that's, that's what a person worry about, should worry about. Did I try my best? That's all we have to worry about. Everything else is in God's hands. At least I've got to try my best. Right? So you have to try my best. But when a person trusts in Hashem, after they try their best, they're free from worldly cares, they have peace of mind, they have security and they have tranquility. It's amazing. Think about it. In those days, before we had police, you know, we're lucky we live in Highland Park, you have a good police force. And it's pretty secure. I don't know how, how secure it is. I don't want to open my mouth. But it's pretty secure, right? Mostly, you can, you can live in your house pretty securely. Um, but imagine in those days, no police. No lights. Imagine. You live in your house. What would they do to protect themselves? Say Shema. Mezuzah and Shema. Before a person would sleep, Shema Israel. Imagine. That inculcates in them Mentioning Hashem's name, Shema Yisrael, inculcates in them trust in God and also calls out to God for providence. Hashem, guard us. And we say also, we, we want to guard our soul. What's the last line that Jews says before going to sleep? In your hands I will place my soul, God. You are my guarantor. You can look after my soul. And you are a God of truth who will redeem me. So, it's a very powerful line to get one soul back. You know, we, we, we don't appreciate enough. Because the first thing we say is, Thank God I woke up from the sleep. Many people die in their sleep. We had a case in Hyde Park. 16-year-old girl. Didn't wake up. No one knows why. Strange. She went to sleep, she didn't woke up. So we don't appreciate it. The first thing we do is say, Thank God for giving back my soul. The last thing we do is we're handing our soul to God for protection. Tranquility. A person has to have trust in God to be a tranquil person. A person who has no trust in God will not do anything. They won't cross the street. They're paranoid. A person will be paranoid. Won't cross the street. Maybe a car. I won't go out. Maybe I'll catch a cold. A person has to have trust to operate. A person has to have a level of trust or be a fool. Either a person has trust or be a fool. And yet a person is not allowed to have, make themselves go into danger. There is a balance over here. You cannot go bungee jumping. A Jew is not allowed to go bungee jumping even though many Jews probably did. Why? Anything you have to sign your life away, you're not allowed to do. Unless it's forgotten nefesh. The guy says, you know, it's an operation you have to take, you have to sign these papers, what can you do? That's all you have to take. But if it's not a procedure you need, why put one's life in danger, as soon as put one's life in danger, and say, God will save me. Okay? Maybe it's an avera, it's an avera putting one's life in danger, and that avera will cause the person's merits to weigh in the scale of obligation. So who says Hashem will save the person? The person is not allowed to put themselves in danger. So even when a person is uh, putting themselves in danger to do a mitzvah, right? the kid, Hashem, the father said, go climb up the ladder and, and chew away the mother bird and take the, the eggs and bring it down to me. Doing two mitzvot, honoring parents and chewing away the mother bird. They both have long life and the kid falls down and dies. And Elisha ben Abuya says, why did he die? What happens? The Gemara says, the ladder was rickety. A rickety ladder. If there's a rickety ladder, you can't even rely on a mitzvah to protect you. So if you're going to fly, make sure the airline is good. Well, you can't rely, even if you're going for a mitzvah, you can't rely on the mitzvah to protect you unless it's uh, reasonable, there's nothing really wrong. Same thing if a person is driving, make sure your car is, uh, can pass the test, has good brakes, has good steering. A person shouldn't just rely on miracles. Asur, lo lesmoch 
a person is not allowed to rely on miracles. Asul is It's a famous Ramban in the Torah. The Ramban says, why did Moshe Rabbeinu make an army? Imagine, think about it. You have these clouds, according to the rabbis, you have seven clouds. And every side the Jews were enclosed by clouds. That's the sukkah, right? And, uh, and another cloud to lead them where they're going. Imagine. So why does he need an army? It's so obviously a miracle. The answer is, we don't want to trouble Hashem to make miracles. We have to try our best to run our lives in natural means. And a person who causes God to make a miracle to save them loses a lot of their merits. It's not worth it. So that person should not put themselves in danger, which is very hard when you're on the road and you're driving. It's very hard. So we're going to be careful, cautious, not to do things which cause danger. So the big question, and this is what the, the questions that he asks, if you trust in Hashem, why do you need to go to work? Why doesn't Hashem provide? And the answer is, it's a test. Working is also a test. Is the person going to rebel? Right? We know one of the mitzvot is, again, it's a duty of the heart, is to remember who gave you wealth. Ki Hashem natan Who He gave us the power to be great. So we have to go to work. Why? Hashem wants to see what we'll say after we go to work. Oh, this is so hard. It's one of the hardest tests. person goes to work and he comes home and he says, it's a hard day, but look, I earn so much money. I'm good at working. I'm great at working, right? So the answer is no. A person should say, Hashem gave me the ability to be able to work. Hashem gave me the knowledge to be able to work. Same thing, it's very hard. This is very hard. You fix something and your wife says, wow, you're so great at this. So a person's going to say, me, I'm nothing. Hashem gave me the ability to do this. How many people could do that? It's very hard to remember the last minute. Hashem gave me the ability to do this. Wow, that's, that's very powerful. It's very powerful. And a person should, should get into the habit of saying that. It's not me, it's Hashem. Hashem gave me the ability. All my abilities come from Hashem. And that's also the test of the heart. Because that's in the mind, mentally. What do you really think? Is it really you or is it really Hashem? Everything's Hashem. And sometimes a person who doesn't think it's, it's Hashem, Hashem wants to give the guy a reminder. Either look out and lose his job, he learned very little, until he thinks, you know what, it wasn't me after all, it must have been someone else, it must have been Hashem. I can't do it myself. So this is a test. The Ram, the, he says it's a test. Imagine, why do we need to go to work? It's a test. Going to work is a test. What does that mean? What kind of test is it? It's a test of Emunah. Is my parnasah coming from me or is my parnasah coming from Hashem? If we didn't go to work, there'd be no test. The person says home. He reads daily and he gets a check in the mail every time. No test anymore. It's too easy. Life is too easy. Hashem tests us with worldly needs to see if you serve Him or rebel against Him. This is an amazing concept, right? Where do we see this in the Torah? The Torah talks about the test of the man. Hashem yinasenu. He will test you to see if you walk with Him or not. Right. What's the test of the man? So there's machloket between the two opinions. Is it a test of riches or is it a test of poverty? So if it's a test of riches, which means a person has whatever they need to eat that day, are they worried about tomorrow? Right. They have whatever they need to eat that day. They have enough food. Uh, do they want or they want more? They're not satisfied. That's the test of riches, right? Test of riches is: Do you say thank you, Hashem, when I have it? Or do you say, Hashem, I want much more? And that's what happened, right? They wanted meat, they wanted cucumbers, they remember the cucumbers, the fish, the this, that, watermelons. That's the test of riches. Or is it a test of poverty? What is it? It's just, uh, as the Jews said, right? It's dry seeds. We've got to grind it up and make it into bread. What kind of food is this, you know? Test of poverty. So that's a machloket over here. Same thing with working. Sometimes a person's wealthy. So the test is, do you remember who it came from? Or the test of poverty is, where's my, where's my Hashem? I don't trust in you anymore. You don't give me enough, right? That's the test, either way. So the Torah says, the biggest test is wealth. Now, we don't think so. We all want to be tested like that, right? Everyone wants the test of wealth. We don't test of poverty. We want the test of wealth. And, and the Torah says, what does it say? Vayishman Yishirun Vayivat. Yishirun will become wealthy and they will kick Hashem. And Moshe Rabbeinu says at the end of the Torah, you're going to go into Israel, you're going to build big houses, you're going to your, all, your, all your oil, you'll have lots of oil, you'll have lots of wine, you'll have lots of grapes, you'll have lots of everything. 
and then you're going to get fat and rebel against Hashem. The person will say, it wasn't Hashem, it was me. I did it all. So that's a prediction Moshe Rabbeinu gave. That's what happened already. So we see the test of wealth from, from working. The Mishnah says, Torah study is good together with an occupation. You need to do both. Well, and uh, we just learned today, it's very interesting, we learned the Chavetz Chaim. So the Mishnah says, Kol Torah says, Any Torah where there's no work attached to it, eventually will be annulled. You need Torah, you need work. Why? Without work, he can't support himself. So how's he going to learn Torah? He's going to start stealing. Start taking shortcuts. It's very hard, right? Unless the person's in Kolel. Today you have the Kolel system today. I don't know how much it supports a person. The Chavit Chaim turns it around, twists it around. He said, and every, every work where there's no Torah is also going to be annulled. Wow, that's amazing. He takes that. It can be learned both ways, he says. Don't take it one way. If there's no, most people say, if you're learning Torah, you're not doing work, it's going to annul it. What about the other way around? What about people who are working and they're not learning Torah? Chavit Chaim says that's also very dangerous. Because then a person will not have any ethics. He won't know how to behave properly. He won't know how to keep the mitzvot when he's working. Okay, the next question he asks is why is it sometimes you see righteous people having to work hard for a living? While people are not righteous, easy. It's easy. So one of the reasons it says why the righteous suffer is because they did something wrong in this world and they get paid back in this world. And the wicked are getting their reward in this world. They're not going to get a reward in the next world. That's one of the reasons. Um, and sometimes Hashem afflicts the person with poverty so that they will show their emunah. So it's a test. Like Abraham Avinu had 10 tests. And the makhluk between the Rambam and the Ramban. Why did Hashem test Abraham? Why does Hashem test people? So the Rambam says to show other people what a tzaddik is like. To advertise righteousness in the world. The Ramban says to show the tzaddik himself that he can reach his potential. If a person is not tested, they can't reach their potential. It's like college, right? You go to college, you have tests. Why do you have tests? And the answer is, without the test, we can know how much you know. Once you take the test, you know how much you know. You know how much you know. Everyone knows how much you know. Not only that, faith in Hashem also helps a person stay well, physically well. It's an amazing concept person who's worried all the time, it really lowers their immune system. A person is liable to get sick. A person who's happy all the time, it raises their immune system. It's very important. Simcha is very, very critical. And it's one of the curses in the Pasha Kitavo. Because you did not serve Hashem with joy and a good heart. The Benish Chai asked the question, why does it say by the Hagim, Simcha? Why not on a regular day? He says, because on the Hagim, people are not happy. So why? Because they didn't go to work, and they're going to pay so many expenses, and they're worried. <laughs> so the Torah has to tell you, be happy on your holiday. Sukkot, right? How many days is Sukkot? Well, outside Israel, it's nine days. Oh boy. Inside Israel, it's eight days. Which, which we need to answer it. It's a long time not to work. People say, oh, my business, what's going to happen? I don't work and what's going to happen? Plus, I've got all these expenses. My wife, I've got to buy my wife jewelry. I've got to buy the kids uh, snacks and stuff. And I've got to go to Yushalayim. And I've got to uh, hotel. A lot of money. So that's why the, the Torah says, be happy. So it's amazing. And just for the time where we should be happy, that's the biggest test. Something happens that knocks a person's happiness out. It's very hard, very hard. You know the famous story about the guy he bought, uh, the Hasid. He had a very, very important pair of tefillin from his grandfather. Very, very expensive pair of tefillin from his grandfather. Passed down father to son for many generations. And it was the only precious thing he had. And his wife says, it's time to get our daughters married. We have no money. Sell your tefillin. You'll get enough money to pay for the dowry. He said, no, no, my tefillin is holy. No, I can't do it. What happens? It becomes Sukkot. And he can't find an etrog. What does he do? He sells his tefillin to buy the etrog. So he comes home with this beautiful etrog. He says, my dear, he says, look what I bought. I bought this beautiful etrog. He says, where do you get the money from? So I sold my grandfather's tefillin. She takes the etrog and she pulls out the, the, the pitam and she throws it on the floor. He has no tefillin. He has no etrog. What does he do? He says, I have no tefillin, no etrog. I'm not going to lose my temper. 
And it says, he got a dream that night. Hashem, in, in Shemaim it says, we weren't impressed that you sold your tefillin to buy the etrog. We were impressed you didn't lose your temper. That's the hard part. The hard part is the Abu Dhashim That's the, really the hard part. The person has a guest. But are they really happy inside to see their guest? Or are they thinking, can't wait for this guy to get out of here? It's a horrible thing. Mm-hmm. Person can ru- ruin their mitzvah by their thoughts. It's such a horrible thing. It's, and we ruin, sometimes we ruin up. We have the teshuva from all the thoughts. We should change all those thoughts. When a person does a mitzvah, it should be the good thought. Even when we do hatar and darim, when we annul vows, there's a formula to say, when you annul vows, I'm not annulling the good deed, Hashem. I don't regret the good deed. I regret the fact that I took it as a vow. I regret the vow. I don't regret the good deed. Very important not to... The Rambam says, just like there's a teshuva from bad deeds, there's also a teshuva from good deeds. You know that? Teshuva and good deeds. Whether you get teshuva and good deeds, and says, I regret doing that good deed. Look how much it cost me. Look how much trouble it caused me. I helped that guy. You know what happened? He's my worst enemy now. All that good deed, what did it do? So he's regretting the good deed. Hashem says, okay, I'll erase it. You regret it? You did teshuva from the good deed. Ramam says, just like this teshuva, that's going to erase the bad deeds. But it's going to also erase the good deed. Imagine, horrible thing. Never regret doing a mitzvah. It's so hard. Never regret doing a mitzvah. Person has to do teshuva on the teshuva. I regret doing the mitzvah now, and I got a teshuva that I don't regret. I'm going to change that. It's an amazingly complicated system. A person should have faith in Hashem in matters of health. Wild. A person's happy, you know. You see people in the hospital. I have a guy now, very, very serious cancer, and he had a bone marrow transplant, and the doctors want to know why he's happy. <laughs> And he says, he took out a separate Tehilim. He says, this is why I'm happy. Tehilim. Say, what? What's that? <laughs> Book of Psalms. Book of Psalms. Wow, this is a cure. It's a cure. They can't believe their eyes. It's amazing, this guy. It's amazing. He has faith in God. Helps a person to, to recover. Another problem he discusses is what about the world to come? Why all the reward and punishment in the world to come veiled? Why does the Torah talk about it explicitly? So he answers, number one is, we don't know what the state of the soul is in the world to come. We don't know what it's like to be a soul without a body. We have no concept. No concept, honestly. No concept. That's supposed to be out of an out of, uh, afterlife experience. And I don't even know how much that is, you know. Maybe it's some kind of vision. Maybe it's some kind of... I don't know. Okay. So we don't know what goes on. We don't know what gives the soul delight and what troubles the soul. Okay? So Muslims can talk about, you know, who knows if the soul is happy with that. You live in a beautiful house, but the soul doesn't need a house. So when the Judaism talks about afterlife, what does it talk about? What does David Amalekh say? I want to live in the house of God all the days of my life. I want to see the glory of Hashem. That's the afterlife. It's something spiritual, intangible. So prophets did not write down what the afterlife is, because we have no concept. Furthermore, Hashem also promises us reward in this world. It's not just the afterlife. Judaism gives us two worlds. You also get reward in this world. Where do we see the reward in this world? In the Shema. You will eat and be satisfied and blessed. So there's both. There's both in the next world and in this world. And... As Rabbi Bachia says, the more you know about Hashem and the more you believe that He guides you and provides for you, the more you will trust Him. <coughs> so a person is going to try and examine their lives and try and find every way Hashem is guiding them. I can see in my life many, many important paths where there were crossroads in my path and Hashem guided me, whether I liked it or not. And usually I wasn't very happy about it. <laughs> usually you're not very happy about it, but it changed my life. As David Amalek says, Your rod and your staff, they comforted me. The rod is not something pleasant. Whack. It's not pleasant. And the staff pulls. It's push and pull. Hashem pushes and pulls us. Whether we like it or not, Hashem is pushing and pulling us. Sometimes, if you're looking for it. If you're looking for it in your life. I can see many stages in my life. I can write a book about it. Yeah, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for those pushes and pulls around the way. I'll tell you. Who knows what I'd be? Who knows what I'd do? Sometimes I should think about it. Where would I be today if Hashem would not have guided me? Don't know where I'd be. Okay.
let's move on. So, the first thing he does in his introduction, he discusses on the quality one who serves Hashem needs most. What quality? This is amazing. Which quality does Hashem, a person serves Hashem? What's the most important quality they have to have? Huh? Trust. Trust in Hashem. Amazing. A person wants to be a tzaddik and serve Hashem. The most, he says, the most, it's hard to understand. The most important quality is trust. Why is that the most important quality? He said, Midot. Kind. Abraham Avinu, kind. Did we say that Rachel said gusto before? Huh? Gusto, yeah. But why? Why trust? Why is trust so important? Quality is to trust Hashem in all the phases of life. That will help you be Torah observant. Keep mitzvot. Because that way a person has... Why? Because a person will have doubts in their head. Trust takes away all the doubts. A person who has doubts in their head cannot serve God properly. I'm not sure. Why did God not help me? How come God is not answering me? How come God is not doing this for me? Why do I have to do all this? So this is one of the most common reasons why people go away from the Torah. Because they don't see. They have no trust in Hashem. So he's telling you, well, the most important thing to keep a person close to Hashem is trust in Hashem. Very, very interesting. <clears throat> so a person says, where's Hashem today? What did Hashem do to me recently? I don't see Hashem in my life. You know, I had a case in my, in my history in, in in Rabbi the Shul, had a family came to my house and they started becoming more observant. They want more Torah, more of this, more of this. What happened? The stupid oil company came and they never had a tank. But they did have a pipe sticking out there. <laughs> they removed the tank, but they didn't take out the pipe. So the oil company came to the wrong house and delivered oil into that pipe and it leaked into the ground and they had to leave their house for three months. I didn't see that family again. Imagine. Well, why not? Because here they are. They want to be more observant, more religious. They want to keep, get closer to Hashem. And all this And this happens all the time. It happens all the time. Whenever they're trying to reach higher, they get a whack. From the other side, the Israelites pushing them away. Why? They don't want to get higher. So the test is bitachon. So a person who has trust in God say, okay, comes a little if a person didn't get to that level yet, will say, oh, this is it. This is what, listen, I try to get close to Hashem. This is what happens to me. What do I need this for? Why do I need to be a Jew? Look, Holocaust, persecution, inquisition, da 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 Why do I need this? Habitachon. Without bitachon, no Jew would become a Jew. No Jew would remain a Jew today. We're here because we have bitachon. We believe that everything's going to be better. We believe Hashem is, is fighting for us. Yeah. Anyone questions? So quality is, imagine, the most important quality to serve Hashem is trust in Hashem. This is wild, because if you'd have asked me this without reading this book, I said something else. I'd say chesed. I would say mishpat, staka. Why did Hashem choose Abraham? Not because he had trust. Did he? But the first test of Abraham was lech lecha. The first test of Abraham was go. Where? I'll show you. What trait was that? Trust in God. That is really the first step. That's what we see. The proof is this week's parasha. The proof from Abraham Avinu is, the first step is, trust in Hashem. Otherwise, Abraham Avinu is not going to do anything. Why should I trust in Hashem? Why should I leave my father? Who's going to tell me to leave my father's house? Why should I leave my father's house? Where's Kivud Avayim? Hashem, where's Kivud Avayim? Trust in me. Where am I going to go? I'll show you. I'll show you. Later on, I'll show you. Love trust. You need a lot of trust, yes. Rabbi, how do you then see faith and trust? Because when I think of why, you know, clinging to Hashem, I think, for me at least, I do it because I think it's faith. It's like even if my mind says, oh, why do that? Uh, my okay. attitude is like, I don't listen to my mind. I just go do what I, what I, because of my faith. Okay, there's two things. There's two things over here. One thing is what's called faith. But there's no mitzvah to have faith in God. There's no mitzvah to have emunah. Whenever we say faith, faith is usually translated as emunah, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no mitzvah of emunah. What's the mitzvah? Oh, to know. To know! It's a mistranslation of the Rambam. Mm-hmm. When they translate the Rambam from, from uh, Arabic to English, 
they translate the word to know as faith in God. There's no mitzvah to have faith in God. It's a much higher level to know there's a God. I don't believe there's a God. I know there's a God. I don't believe there's a table over here. I know there's a table over here. I don't believe in a God. I know there's a God. What do you mean? Believe. Believe is a low level. It's not less than knowledge. A person's got to have mitzvah. There's mitzvah to know there's a God. So now you walk around with this knowledge there's a God. That's what you're talking about. You, I know there's a God. But that's fine. It's a theory. Knowledge of God. How do I bring it down to myself in my life? And that's what we talk about trust. We talk about trust. It's uh, we're pulling it out from faith. Of faith, but knowledge of God. How does God interact with me? That's trust. I trust that God created the world. I, I know that God created the world. But I know that he's also involved with me personally. That's trust. Trust is God cares about me. So when you say this, you have faith, and you know that's what you're talking about. You're talking about both. Emunah and bitachon. Right? Some people just have knowledge of God, but they don't believe that he's involved with them. They have no trust. But a person with trust has to have knowledge of God. You can't have trust without emunah, but you can have emunah without trust. Amazing, huh? A person can believe God created the world, and I walked away, Einstein. I believe there's a God. There's one God. He created the world, and he walked away, and he doesn't care about us because we're like ants. And people don't care about ants. That's Einstein. We believe that God created the world, and he cares about us. He cares about us to the point where we can trust in him. He wants what's good for us. That's trust. So there's two issues, which is knowledge of God and trust in God. And both two separate mitzvot. One is the mitzvah to know God. And one is the mitzvah to trust in God. And trust is so important to keep us attached. If a person knows God, but he doesn't trust in him, there's no attachment. No attachment. But to believe God is personal, that's trust. Exactly. A personal God who cares. God cares about me, and God looks after me. That's trust. I trust in God. Just like a child trusts their parents, hopefully. Daddy, what's for lunch? Mommy, what's for lunch today? Trust in you. Don't worry, I'll give you something good for you. Okay? Trust. So trusting in Hashem will help your Torah observance. This is amazing. This, this is such a key that we forget. The first test of Abraham Avinu was trust in Hashem. Wild. And then what happens? He goes to Mitzray. He goes to Israel and there's no food. So if it was you and me, we'd say, hey, I... I just started this journey trusting in God. And God let me down right now. Right in the beginning, God let me down. Why? I trusted him. I went to this place and nothing to eat. No, Abraham doesn't ask questions. It's okay, nothing to eat here. I'll go somewhere else. He didn't ask. His test was, is he going to ask? Is he going to complain? Is he going to quetch? It's a Jewish thing to quetch. God, where's my food? You told me to go there. Where's the food? Why did you send me there? Right, like the Jews in the desert did later on. And even Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu says, Lam Lama The end of Parshat Shemot. Why did you bring bad on these people? And Hashem says, I appeared to Abraham, I appeared to Yitzhak, I appeared to Yaakov. Rashi says, he's rebuking him. Your forefathers never asked me questions, even though I promised them many children. They never had children. Abraham never had children. Hashem says, you're going to be, have children like the stars in the sky. <laughs> I didn't even have one. Till he's, till he's 99 years old. He has Yitzhak. But he had Yishmael, 86 there's a gematria over there, 86. Yeah, Dishman. He didn't ask questions, despite everything. He did, eventually. He said, Hashem, what's everything going to go if I don't have a child? But he didn't really ask it as a question. He just says, listen, all my Judaism today is going to die out. All these converts are going to leave me, eventually. They're not going to keep it. I need a, a, someone who will continue my ways through someone flesh and blood for me. All these guys, we, we see that all the people he made in Haran abandoned him. They all abandoned him or abandoned his son, Yitzhak. So a charismatic leader can keep people close. The son is not charismatic. All the followers left. It's tragic. They all left. Yes, exactly. It wasn't internalized. It's very hard to internalize. Huh? Why? Because there was nothing to do. There was no Torah. How do you, it's, it's like Hashem, right? Hashem says the Jewish people cannot survive as Jews unless I give them something. You can't survive. It's very hard to survive as a, as a Sadiq without a roadmap. You need a roadmap. 
So the roadmap makes it easier. You're practicing every day. You're doing so many mitzvot every day. It's attaching you to God. You pass the mezuzah. You, it's attaching you to Hashem. Without these things, without the mitzvot, we'd be lost. Honestly, we'd be lost. Because we have no... A person needs constant... You know how many men today have to wear wedding rings to remind themselves they're married? Right? We need, we need reminders. Imagine something simple and basic like that. Even then it doesn't help. You guys wearing a wedding ring and flirting with someone else. Like, even that doesn't help. So we need reminders, constant reminders, and the Torah provides us constant reminders. So can imagine if there's no Torah to learn, or fill our brains with what? With newspapers and politics and stuff. So we need to trust in God. It's the most basic thing that keeps us religious, that keeps us trusted, keeps us embedded with Hashem, keeps us, what's the word for it? Keeps us co-joined with Hashem. That David Amel says, you are with me. And that's what Hashem told Abraham. I'm your shield. I'm around you. I'm with you right now. I'm your shield wherever you go. Okay. Now what happens if a person doesn't trust in Hashem? Since a person relies on their wisdom, their skill, their physical strength, their efforts, they're wasting their energies. It's my skill, so I'm going to try my best, my best, my best, my best, my best. All the energy is going to go. A person says, you know, I tried my best. I don't have to try anymore. Now Hashem's going to help me. He won't get exhausted. He won't, person won't get exhausted. He won't exhaust themselves. Listen, I want to tell you something. It's a very, I find this very tough to say. I find it very tough to say. He says something very, very hard. Harsh. Very harsh. If a person relies on their wealth, either it will be taken away from the person or you'll not be able to enjoy it. Scary. Scary. It's a very scary warning. Person says, you know what? I don't have to worry about Hashem. Hashem, I don't have to pray to Hashem. I have all the money I ever need. Hashem says, Oh, you do? Okay, either I'm gonna take it away from you, or you're not gonna have benefit from it. You're gonna die before the time, or you're gonna get sick, and we don't it's horrible. It's very harsh. So his wealth is merely on deposit to guard against loss, and it ends up in the hands of someone better. That's scary. And he based himself on Kohelet, chapter 2. Kohelet says, To the sinner he has given the urge to gather and amass, that he may give it over to someone who is pleasing to Hashem. Amazing. So wealth may cause a person's downfall and bring about the loss of his soul. The person really trusts in their money. You have to try, you have to do Ishtadlut. The person needs an IRA. You need a, you need a pension plan. You need social security. You need You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.